So, here we are, the big day. Euro 2020 is upon us. If you've stuck with us through all the previews, good job by you. If you're just turning up today, then welcome, the fun is about to begin. But what I will say is that you can go back and listen to those previews all through the next few days as each group kicks off because they're still relevant. Today, we're just checking in for a final Euros roundup, a temperature check ahead of the tournament. We've also got Johnny Blaine on to analyse some of the stats and numbers in Euro 2020. For posterity, we recorded this on Thursday. So if everyone and their dog gets COVID before you listen, we're not just burying our heads in the sand, we just didn't know about it yet. COVID has had an impact ahead of the tournament. Spain, most notably with Busquets and Diego Llorente positive tests, leading Luis Enrique to call up 17 players in a separate bubble. Sweden had two cases as well, Kulosevsky and Svanberg. More will probably follow, but hopefully none of our guests on the pod. Speaking of which, I'm Rick Sharma. I'm on today with Dave Gibbs. Hi, everybody. And Joe Casanelli. Good to be back, hoping to make the cut for the final tournament. Things are looking positive, Joe. Hopefully not testing positive. Well, yeah, hopefully not. After speaking to all of our guests that we've had on the, the preview episodes, I've been re-evaluating my thoughts from a couple of weeks ago about which teams I think are going to do well, who might be heading for an early exit. I, I don't know about you guys. Are there any teams you're now looking forward to watching or expect are going to do better than you thought? I think for myself, we go on to it later, speaking to Statsman Johnny Blaine. Finland, I tip Finland to do well. From what he said to me about them not scoring, I, I'm going to have to take that back. And Sorry, <laughs> Finland. It's, it's not going to happen for you guys, unfortunately. I believe uh, an AI predictor backed my faith in the Czech Republic up by suggesting that they would win the whole tournament, beating Denmark in the final. So I'm pretty happy with my, uh, with my pre-tournament dark horses. Although, again, can't look beyond France. I think maybe given the, the way that COVID might affect... Uh, Spain especially, I think that Spain might have to sort of readjust their expectations for this tournament, especially if more plan- more of the dominoes, if you like, fall down and that separate bubble has to be called upon because, as you say, Luis Enrique has called up 17 players, six of whom are senior players who he didn't want in the squad in the first place, and 11 of them are under-21s who've just played in an under-21 Euros, which they got knocked out in the semi-finals in. So you would have to say that if Spain are going to have to call them up and readjust their squad, then they're also going to have to maybe readjust their expectations. I don't think there's huge expectation on Spain this this summer, but it could be that a round of 16 would maybe be seen as success if, if the worst comes to the worst and they have to essentially pick a new squad of players. Yeah, I agree. I think Spain are weaker than, than at first thought after their sort of bad preparation with this. COVID issue. I'm not as high in Belgium as I was after talking to Christoph about their defence. He, I mean, he said it best. They're like this. It's like the, the ship that was stuck in the Suez Canal, watching those defenders turn around. And it's yeah. Um, and he he's also a bit uncertain about whether they can cope with France or not. And like I think it was Dave said that mentality or or is just a bit. I'm not convinced that they think they're going to go on and win it. And if you don't think you're going to go on and win it, then you're not going to go on and win it. On the positive side, I think Italy is stronger than I thought before talking to Vieri. I'm coming around to Germany as well. The big caveat, of course, is Joachim Löw, which is, I feel like it's a big mistake going into the tournament with him. And I don't know if you guys think about any teams that might crash out early. I mean, I would say Holland, if, if or the Netherlands, if not for the home advantage they've got and a relatively easy group. Could England crash out early? I'll, I'll play a devil's advocate here and probably what people don't want to hear. But if England comes second, they don't pull the results against Croatia's Scotland 
and then end up playing one of the big boys of, of Group F in, as a second place. Could be an early bus ride home. What I will say about England is that there is a huge amount of of trouble building with this uh, the pl- people booing players taking the knee thing. And it's the complete opposite of, of the great atmosphere and the harmony there was in, in the World Cup in 2018 when they went really far with Southgate. Everyone was on the same page and this time around they really aren't. There's a lot, a lot of problems in that regard. And Southgate is also under a lot more pressure now than he was then, partly because of how well he did at that tournament, but also partly because tactically he's kind of fallen to pieces in in the last year or two. And people are, are scrutinising everything. There's, there's, there's all kinds of minutiae around England that is potentially problematic. Like if you know then they don't do well against Croatia, everyone will be screaming for Jack Grealish to play. We're assuming he's not going to start the first game. And he's he's the one that everyone's going to want in the team, and I I feel like there is a chance that England could implode. I do expect them to get to the group. I don't think that you know they're one of the eight worst teams at the tournament because only eight teams going out in the first round, and Finland, North Macedonia, Slovakia, and Hungary are almost certainly going to be three of the, four of them. So there's only four more teams that could get knocked out in the first round. I think we need to look at. England's record of playing knockout stage games in the Euros is all we need to say on that. They lost to Iceland, struggled on penalties against Portugal, Italy on penalties, didn't make it out of the group stages in 2000. So we're going back to Euro 96 when it took a penalty shootout for them to make the semi-final. So knockout rounds aren't favourable for England. Yeah, I think that looking at Euro 96, Gibbo, of course, the big thing there was that England did have home advantage. And this summer, of course, they will be playing a lot of games at Wembley. And you'd think that that would be a huge plus for them. However, as Rick mentions, there is this underlying issue of fans booing players taking the knee. Players wish to take the knee or not, I think is very much an individual decision. You have to respect whether they want to do it or not. But the fact that the reasons that they're doing it for racial equality, for people to boo that, you have to ask some serious questions about British society and the thinking of these fans. And then ultimately, if you're looking at England, who are one of, if not the most multicultural team in the tournament, could that actually have a negative impact on them? Because I don't understand how you can think it's acceptable to boo Players take players such as Raheem Sterling, who came from a very difficult background in Jamaica. You know, the UK became his home after he were, you know, essentially had to flee his home country. The UK took him in. It's a wonderful story. And now all of a sudden people think it's acceptable to boo Raheem Sterling taking a knee. Yet if he scores a goal that gets England into the round of 16, they'll cheer it. I don't understand how you can... You, the two have to go together. I know people say that politics and sports shouldn't mix and those kind of things, but I I really don't understand the fan thinking there. And I really don't like the fact that some right-wing politicians in the UK who have obviously shot to prominence over the Brexit saga are comparing it to, well, someone compared it to a Nazi salute. You had, you know, a Marxist movement. I think that you have to say that that kind of, atmosphere and undercurrent bubbling under really you know it doesn't do the national team any favors of course you know the whole whether the national team do well or not and black lives matter if they do well fantastic but if they don't you know it still shouldn't stop this movement of 
standing up for against prejudice and for racial equality. I just think that the way that some fans are inclined to think may not help that. And I sincerely hope that it doesn't have a, a telling impact on the team and especially on some of the players who maybe, you know, if things aren't going well for them, where does the booing stop? Does... Does the booing then carry on from the taking the knee to, you know, if England fall behind to an early goal, does the, the atmosphere then sour and does that all kind of come to a crescendo in them with an ice, a repeat of the Iceland debacle? Who knows? So that will be something to keep an eye on. I do think that if England in the round of 16 have to play against a team from the group of death that isn't somehow Hungary, that could well be the end of their tournament anyway. However, I'd very much like for England to, to go far because obviously with the fi- the semis and the final being at Wembley, you always say, you know, when a host nation does well, a tournament is better. While it's a little bit different, the setup of a host nation, England is essentially the host nation, at least for the final four. So you'd like to see them do well and get through. But yeah, I'm probably not as up on them as I was when you kind of go through the squad list and look at them name for name, because you've got to wonder what kind of setup Southgate will use and who will be in the in the starting eleven. Moving on to potential golden boot shouts, anyone raising on Lukaku? I think he was quite a common pick among all of us in the first episode. Kane, if England go far, is going to be up there. Of course, Mbappe or, or Karim Benzema with France. Well, I think as uh, Johnny, our statsman, mentions, trying to choose a top scorer from the group of death might actually be the wrong move because he thinks that, and I agree with him that, you know, I would say that because he made a very good point that I agree with him, that the, uh, that the group of death is going to see very cagey games between France, Germany and Portugal. Therefore, you know, he did say, Picking a penalty taker as top scorer, given there's a VAR element, would probably be the way to go. However, whether that is Ronaldo, Griezmann, Mbappe, given the group they're in, remains to be seen. I think that, you know, you look at the group that Belgium have got on paper, they should absolutely hammer all their opponents and Lukaku should fill his big size 12s. But it's, it's difficult. I don't think in international football, I know we just saw Germany tonk Latvia 7-1 or something in the week, but they don't they don't tend to have big high-scoring games at, at tournaments like the Euros. If you look back at Euro 2016, there won't be any games with huge scorelines. Perhaps the only exception is that three-all draw between Portugal and Hungary. Also, in, in that group of death conversation, the, in, the, in theory, those teams, France, Portugal, Germany, could... You know, Mbappe could get a hat trick against Hungary, and I think that I don't think that's impossible, and that would stand him in very good stead to to go on and win the Golden Boot potentially. I think players like Lewandowski are traps because Poland we're not convinced they're getting out of that group. Maybe they will because Slovakia are bad, but Lewandowski could easily end up on maybe one or just one or two goals for the tournament. Yeah, I completely agree. It's it's a hard balance, isn't it? Really, I think that. One of the good things is, while you know, while there's not too many thrashings at a major tournament, you're kind of expecting Belgium to get to the quarters or you know probably even the semi-finals at a minimum, I'd suggest. So the fact that they have quite an easy set of games in the group stage, you know, even if essentially if one player scores a hat trick, they've pretty much sealed the golden boot, haven't they? And of all the group stage teams, 
and games, I could see if any player getting a hat trick, it is it's Lukaku in my book. Yeah, Lukaku, and also an outside shout is Memphis Depay from the Netherlands because he runs the game from them in in the attack. It's basically Depay and no one else, so he's going to be the focal point of all their attacking play. And they've got a relatively easy group. Ukraine may be a bit tougher. Then they've got Austria, North Macedonia. So you expect them to go through and him to get the goals that put them through. He's on their set pieces, free kicks, penalties as well. So Rick, I, I agree with you there. He's definitely a good option. Also, I mean, we'll talk about Johnny and his stats. He Sweden, Bulgaria was a 5-0 win in 2004. And then we're going back to the quarterfinals, Netherlands 6-1 against Yugoslavia. So... You know, we're looking at almost a good 20 years ago for a big win in, in the competition. We've heard a lot about Statsman Johnny Blaine, so let's introduce that bit of our conversation with him. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for coming on, Johnny. Obviously, you're the man with the stats, and we thought we'd pick your brains a bit about the Euros. I'm sure you've got hundreds and thousands of stats which plenty of broadcasters are, are looking for. They all seem to be centred around Ronaldo. <laughs> That's what I said to you in that message, wasn't it? Yeah, <laughs> the one I mentioned. Really literally him. What are some of the obscure ones maybe you could reveal to us? I quite like one sort of centred around VAR. I think we're going to have a lot of penalties. There were 12 penalties taken at Euro 2016 and they didn't have VAR. And if you think that in the Premier League, you're getting a, you're getting a VAR penalty like once every eight games, we could have a stacked load of penalties at Euro 2020 with VAR. So, you know, people ask about, oh, who should be my top scorer? Probably a bloke that takes penalties, you know, goal scoring bets, a bloke that takes penalties. Ronaldo is probably, is probably your go-to guy. So he needs five goals for that, that record that everyone's talking about to catch Iran's Ali Day. It's phenomenal and he's just relentless. He plays every game. You know, he played last night. You'd think in a friendly against Israel, he might sit it out because they've got a tough group. And do they want him, you know, do they want him to be missing games against France, Germany, Hungary? But he just plays. He just wants to break these, well, he'll want to break this record. Of course he will. Possibly running out of time. Yeah, five goals away from an incredible 109 international goal. You think he's going to do it during the tournament? I went through, I had to go through all his goals that he scored for Portugal individually the other day, which sounds boring, but I really enjoyed it. And he just seems to have he hasn't aged at all. He's still leaping. He's got the best leap. That goal he scored against Wales in 2016 just leaps like nobody else. I think he, yeah, do you know what? I think there's every chance he could at least get five and equal it. And if he doesn't do it in the next four weeks, he'll do it at some point. He's showing no signs of giving it up. Do any other interesting stats? You've, you said you're drowning in statistics and I'm, <laughs> I don't even know, you know where to begin with these. Ronaldo, again, I mean, he scored nine goals at the Euros in, in his career. Same as Platini, only needs one to become the all-time top scorer in European Championship history. I think we know he'll probably do that. He's the only player, he will become the only player to play at five Euros. It would have been Jormin Zlatan. Obviously, he didn't make it. Obviously, he chose to come back just for this, but then got injured. That's that's interesting with Platini, because he did it all in one tournament, didn't he, Platini? It's one tournament. It's taken Ronaldo four tournaments to get to nine. Obviously, scored when Portugal hosted it in 2004. A couple of brilliant headers. He's actually scored five headers. Of his nine goals, they've been headers. If you go back, you can find him on YouTube, his nine goals at the Euros. Honestly, the headers, you think of him as just this metronomic bloke with a brilliant shot on him. It's unbelievable in the air. I said a thing that Spain have got the youngest average age squad at the tournament. How unusual, like, is that unusual for like one of the, sort of, what you'd consider sort of the tournament favourites to have such a a young squad? And then on the, on the, like the inverse of that, 
who has the oldest squad at the tournament? Who are sort of the old codgers of the Euro? I actually think Turkey are the youngest. I think Spain the second youngest. I think there was a squad change at Turkey that have pushed them. But yeah, I think it's young. I looked at the Italy squad as well. It's not household names. And some of these Spanish squads, I know sort of La Liga's come off our TVs here in the UK. And I'm looking at it going, I don't recognise many of these names. And it is, you've always got to have some of the old guard, I think, personally, to, to win you a Euros. Portugal won it with, with Ronaldo and Pepe. They had some real old stages. And I, I think Spain will miss Ramos. I know he's not been fit. It's not, they've had their golden generation. And not to say these guys won't do it again one day. But I just don't think Spain, I think, need a little bit more experience, which is why everyone, uh, France are class. Look at the experience they've got running through that team. So, yeah, I think, and the oldest team, I believe, might be Russia. But I actually quite like Russia. I think they've got some good players. I think you've got to have a really good mix. I don't think Spain have got that mix. Isn't Jude Bellingham going to be, could be the youngest player to play in the Euros? Yeah, he could be the youngest ever. There is a Polish reserve goalkeeper who could be that person, but. There's every chance he's not going to play. Poland would have to be really unlucky for him to break that record. Chesney and um, Fabianski would have both have to be out, right? Both have to be out for the, for this Polish third choice goalkeeper. Is this you dropping the uh, the curse now, Johnny? Where he will make an appearance on like match day two? Yeah, hundred percent. He's going to play now. <laughs> um, so yeah, Bellingham. You expect? I don't know if he'll start, but you expect him to to get on at some point. So yeah, he will become the youngest player at the Euros. Is this probably England's youngest average age squads going to a Euro? Beating me there. <laughs> Should we just say yes? It's got to be, doesn't it? I'd be stunned if it wasn't. Just I think we'll see the most goals at the Euros. I know it's obvious because it's only the second team of 24 p- tournament with 24 teams. We had 108 goals in 2016. Again, I think we'll see more. Also because of VAR, which obviously can take goals away, but I think we'll see more goals with VAR. I reckon, I reckon we're going to see 115 to 120 goals. Euro 2016 wasn't a great tournament by all accounts. So I think you're right. That was kind of disappointing. A lot of games were, were tight, draws, went to extra time. And, and, and that's the problem you get as well with three teams being able to get out of the group. Teams, well, Portugal drew all their group games. Keep going on about Portugal. <laughs> Portugal drew all their group games in 2016, ended up winning it. So you don't even have to win a group game. And you can go on and win it. Portugal won one game in normal time when they beat Wales. So... You don't even have to be that good to win to win the Euro. They were good, but you can draw your way through it. And one of those teams, obviously Portugal playing against Iceland, who were tournament newbies in 2016. Is there any stats we should look out for, anything we should look out for in the sort of North Macedonia or Finland camps, anything that jumps out there? Because, I mean, I'm sure that aside from Timo Puki and Goran Pandev, not a lot of people will know that much about, about those lads. There's, there's not a lot. We had five newbies at Euro 2016. Four of them got out of the group. Albania were the only ones not to. And again, having three teams, that will help. But Finland come in in awful form, not scored in either of their friendlies, uh, really struggling for form. North Macedonia, of course, beat Germany in, in World Cup qualifying. Germany's first home World Cup qualifying defeat since England beat them at 5-1. If I had to put anything on it, I think North Macedonia have got a better chance than Finland of getting out of the group. Three teams, it doesn't take much to get out. And just for any sort of fantasy football players out there, I know you've said, you know, your top scorer, you've got to put, and I'm asking this from a very <laughs> selfish point of view because Me I'm too. rubbish at fantasy football. Don't say that, come on, <laughs> this stats man can't be bad at fantasy football. So you said your top scorer, you know, look at a penalty taker because of VAR. Are there any sort of players who statistically you would maybe say, aside from penalty takers that have to be in there, is there anyone who stands out from that? Given the Maybe even given the systems that the sides play and that they're classed as a defender when in reality they're going to play in midfield? 
You know, John Lundstrom was a classic example in Premier League fantasy football a couple of years ago. I've not seen anything clever. I, I'm going to possibly avoid this Group F, the, uh, the Portugal, Germany, France groups. I think it's going to be so tight. I think putting money on a, a Benzema, again, a Ronaldo, it's a bit of a worry because they've got such a tough group. I quite like Ukraine. They play really good attacking football, which obviously helps for Fantasy League. Yarmolenko does nothing in the Premier League. Nothing. But he comes alive. Uh, he doesn't even want to play for West Ham. He's always injured. But he comes alive for Ukraine. He's only, I think, eight goals shy of Shevchenko's record, which is astonishing for a bloke who doesn't really seem to do anything. <laughs> Again, he turns it on. I like Zuber up for Russia because they just play the same system. They just whack the ball up to his you know, six foot, whatever he is. So if you could possibly find a little gem like Yarmolenka or Zuber or a Russian winger that will be whacking the ball in for Zuber, because that's all they do. The, full, the Russian fullbacks, the Russian wingers, whoever they start, they're just told to get their head up and knock it into the big man. So I think there's a little bit of value around the sort of second tier countries. And I do quite like Ukraine and Russia this time around. Oh, and the lad up front for Turkey... Burak Yilmaz had a great season for Lille. If they can get going, Turkey, they might be. And Chalhanoglu at Milan, uh, some nice players there. Quite strange that Turkey are the youngest average size, uh, average age size. Is it when you consider like Yilmaz is thirty-five? Yeah. I don't, I don't know their squad off by heart, but they're going to have a few players who are probably up there pushing it. So they must have quite a lot of sort of twenty to twenty-two year old, twenty to 12, 24, 22 year olds in the squad. They got a lot of players out. There's been a, it was a really good battle in Turkey this year for the title. Went down to the last day of the season, and they've picked a lot of players out of uh, the, the big three: Besiktas, Fenerbahce, and Galatasaray. But also the manager who's back, Şenol Gunes, who took them to the World Cup third place in 2002. He's picked a few from his club where he was a legend, Trabzonspor. So he's gone. He has gone for youth, and he's really take, picked out of the domestic league. So that's why they've got so many good young players. I thought you were going to say that he'd picked a few from 2002 squad then. I was going to say, but yeah, that, that, they're doing really well to have the youngest average age squad. They picked a load of the 2002 lads. That would have been getting Rusty back in goal. That was a good side. That was a good side. That can suka there. <laughs> yeah, that was a good side. I don't really want to touch into betting because that's not what I'm about on the, on, the, on the pod. But I did a small little bet at the last year, and it was for a goal to be in every single group game. And I think I got something like 30 to 1. Do you think each game have a goal, or do you think there could be a nil-nil? I think there's only one nil-nil at the World Cup in 2018, France-Denmark, of which a, friend, a good friend of mine, the only ticket he got was for France-Denmark. For me, the three teams getting out of the group makes it, you're going to get some cagey games. Finland, I just can't see him scoring because they're, they're in really poor form. Don't tell Gibbo that. He said they were a surprise package going to get to the quarterfinals. <laughs> oh, God, sorry, Gibbo, mate. Listen, you don't know. I've just finished watching the Greece documentary on Greece winning in Euro 2004. Like, you just don't know when it's your moment and you just catch a moment and it may just happen. You're not invited to the pookie party, Johnny. Yes, it's in class. The ball dropped him in the box. You never know. But I think, no, I'm going to say we're going to have a couple of nil nil. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll make sure I tell people to stay away from that bet then. On advice. Oh, don't listen, don't, don't hang on my every word. All right, Johnny, thank you very much for coming on. I appreciate you got a really busy day. Declan Rice said if England win the Euros, he'd have his first ever pint of beer. So it got us thinking, who from the Euros would you most like to have a pint with? Mm, that's a good question, Rick. I would probably go for, I'll tell you what, I'll go for a drink with some of the Scottish lads. I think John McGinn, I've heard he's the funny man of, of the Scottish national team. I'll go for a pint with him. I'll grab a tenant. Talking of Scotland, I don't think you can look far beyond them for this best drinking buddy uh, award at the Euro. I'd say maybe Andy Robertson. 
I heard that he was uh, quite quite the partier when Liverpool won their their Champions League and Premier League. So I'd imagine that Andy Robbo, uh, despite his very slight frame and figure, can can knock them back. You know, maybe he needs the odd iron brew in there in the middle, a cheeky deep fried Mars bar to uh, help soak up the alcohol. But Andy Robbo, I think he would be my choice. So I think we'd maybe just we just take the whole Scotland squad out for for a booze session, and then I think that they'd be very good value for it as well. No Scotland, no party. <laughs> you had some inside info, didn't you, Dave, on on Scotland getting a bunch of of gifts or their families yeah, getting so, gifts? So Andy Robertson actually tweeted about it as well. I think they all they all got given Apple Watches, Johnny Walker Black Label, Iron Brew, Walker's Shortbread, typical Scottish little mementos. I think it was a, a kind of a sign, you know, to, from the skipper. I, I believe Robbo was the in, instigator. He's given them little mementos for them. I mean, what, what would you get a footballer? A, a footballer, they nearly have everything. So I think these are little token personal items for them to remember them as being a squad for going to a European Championships. I do wonder that. Yeah, I'm maybe not sure. Not sure I'd I'd give them Iron Brew, Tenants Lager, Brew Dog, and a bottle of Johnny Walker on the eve of a tournament. <laughs> I think there'd be quite a lot of temptation there. Well, I mean, I'm not a professional sportsman, so from my side, there'd certainly be a lot of temptation there. No, it's a very nice gesture from the Scottish team with with all these these gifts. And as you say, what what do you get? the people who have everything in life really so yeah what gift would you get king kareem is your is your tip for this tournament rick you know we know how much kareem benzema means to you and how much you've raved about him over the years what would you get king kareem to welcome him back to the france squad well people people always say that experiences are worth more than physical gifts so i would just take king kareem out for a nice night we'd have dinner we go and see some sights. I could let him do some filming. You know he loves to make these little videos of himself on holiday where he films himself having a good time and, and going into cars and driving around, having a party. So I'd take him on an experience like that and he'd be very appreciative, I'm sure. In terms of who I'd like to go for a drink with or wouldn't, I, I, I think I wouldn't like to go for a drink with Kevin De Bruyne, but it might end up turning out that he's actually a great guy. In my head, he, he'd be a terrible guy to go out for a drink with him. It'd be really annoying. But he could actually be a top lad. Why, why is he annoying? Why, why do you think he'd be annoying? Well, partly just his face. Like, he does look annoying. And he, he looks like... Is he... it because he left Chelsea, Rick? <laughs> no, you know, I don't, I don't hold that against him. I, I backed Kevin De Bruyne. I, I would have liked to see Mourinho give him more game time, more minutes when he was at Chelsea. The same with Mo Salah as well. And a lot of other players that we've let go over the years. But... I don't know. There's something irritating about him, Kevin De Bruyne. Well, he'd be under strong Belgian lagers as well, I think. And if he's only he's only a slight figure, you know, as all these professional footballers are, I'm not sure how many Duvels you'd be able to to knock back with KDB. I think that I'd I, I it's one of those that I'd part of the the very sort of British part of me is like thinking Jack Grealish would be fantastic to go out for a drink with but I think it would turn into an absolute nightmare. I could imagine people bump into him in the club or, you know, everyone wants a selfie with him. You know, or, you know, he'd be just be the centre of attention, which I'm sure, you know, he'd love. And I just think it'd maybe be, you know, turn into a... It'd go from, you know, let's go out for a pint to 6am, stumbling home, 
you know, you got vomit on your trainers. You're not really. Sh- you've lost your wallet and your phone. You've done some hippie crap. With, yeah, I think a night out with Jack could escalate to quite something. I think I'd also very much like to go out for a drink with Jorginho Wijnaldum because of the smile. I think he's got the best smile, maybe even in world football. He's got you're saying a a, you'd like to go out for a drink with him or a date with him? Well, I mean, can't they be both? I just stare at it. I just, I just, well, hopefully he'd be smiling when he was out with me. You know, maybe he'd be frowning, probably would be frowning, to be honest. But if I could make him smile and just stare at that smile, it was dreaming. Is the Slovakia squad the, the team you probably, the players you wouldn't want to go out with, Genjo? I'd love to be with them. I'd absolutely love to be with them. I wouldn't want to accidentally spill my drink on any of them, put it that way. I'd go to a punk gig with Marek Hamšík. We'd get, we'd get on great. Let's move on to the best and worst kit for the tournament. Dave, you're a big fashion man. I think a lot of the kits, they are templated with Nike and Adidas. I think it's about 17 out of 24 kits are Nike and Adidas for the tournament. But my favourite one is definitely the Germany away black kit. I think that is superb. I've always been a bit of a traditionalist when it comes to football kits as well. So England, I, I like them to play in a playing white and then the away top I prefer the red top this blue one as well with sort of this camouflagey pattern I quite like as well I think it's a bit it'll be a retro top in a few years time and that's making me possibly want to spend my pounds on it I think the Russia home kit is smart too Adidas top really nice got collar it's got the stripes on the shoulders nice it's the Russian flags there too I always like to see the flag represented in the kit and the other one I think is great and it always is, is, is the Netherlands kit. I love to see the Netherlands kit. It's, it's a shame they're not at all the tournaments and they often miss out. But when they're there, you just turn on TV. You don't need to see anything else. You just know it's the Netherlands playing. I'll give you a bit of info on that Russia one, Rick. So Adidas had to actually remake the sleeves because they accidentally put the Serbia flag as the colours. Oh, wow. They had to do a re- remake of it just in case. And as you touch on the Netherlands kit, have you noticed that? They're also wearing orange shorts, which is a bit different. So normally it's either the black shorts to go with the kit, but they've, they've gone for a full orange number this time. I think when you talk about the or- iconic orange, for me, maybe one of the most iconic kits in world football is the Czech-Croatia shirt. I'm not that big of a, as people who will know me personally attest to, I'm not that much of a fashionista. However, you know, the Croatia shirt is brilliant. I also think, you know, you could always, you always know when Sweden are playing as well with that sort of luminous yellow kind of kit. They're just, uh, they're really iconic ones. And I think that Portugal as well always have very, very nice kits as well, don't they? They sort of have that iconic maroon colour as their Euro 2016 was the the sort of teal coloured Portugal away kit that they wore for the, for the Hungary game. It's, I thought it was a fantastic kit, fantastic colour as well. Tell you what kits I don't like are all the away kits made by Puma. They're just exactly the same. There's Italy, Austria, Czech Republic, Switzerland. and They're just exactly the same and they're really boring. They don't even look like football shirts. They look like T-shirts that you get in JJB Sports and you, you pick it up for like eight quid. Ostrich, it says on the Austria the one. Reference for the kids there, JJB Sports. <laughs> Does it not exist? Does it not exist anymore? I think it might be DW nowadays. 
Funnily you say that, Rick, you know, coincidentally two of the unlovable sides in unlovable kits. I quite like the France away kit too, having a look at it right now. It's, it's quite plain, it's white, but it's got, it's Nike, it's got that, it's got the French flag stripes down the side of it under the sleeve and then just the cockerel. I think one of the things that recently been brought into the football shirts, you could say, is the added badge of accomplishment, you could say. So when a team wins the World Cup or the European Championships or the Nations League, they sort of have this little shield on the front of their shirt, which has been has been brought in probably in the last 10 years or so. And I think that's quite smart because it, it, it shows that, you know, you are a champion. You are proud of your country's achievement or in, in some cases your team's achievement in, in club level. And, you know, that becomes almost like a collector's item on the top. Last of all, a little shout out for Fantasy Football. We've already said you should join our league, you can win a shirt. The link is in the description. But we're just going to have a quick little chat about any recommendations or picks you, you think. And I should probably just remind people it's a bit different to the FPL game. It's very, very hands-on this game. You basically, to, to finish well, you have to manage your team every day. You have to log in and substitute players into the team that... Are on the bench if you know if you've got a player in your team that's got no points or one point two points take them out and get a bench player in and you can also change your captain every day until you hit the right captain but you can't go back so you can twist or twist and twist and eventually you stick on one so that's a an important note i think johnny's right it's going to be the guys who get the penalties who's going to get you the most points so i've got Depay, lukaku and lewandowski up front I think they're, they're the front three who are going to get me some goals. Blurged all your money in the attack. I agree with Rick when I think I think Lewandowski might might be a bit of a, a letdown there for you, Dave. I think that there's just too much reliance on him and Poland not doing well. I think that that might ultimately come back to, to bite you, I think. But then again, Lewandowski's first game is against Slovakia. He could easily hit double in that and Dave's laughing. I think after that then he might struggle. I think, you know, you can't look again beyond Lukaku in fantasy for the, the group they've got, as we mentioned. They, he should, in theory, be in and around the question for the, the top scorer. He takes the penalties, which is going to be more important than ever, as Johnny said, with a VAR. It'll be quite interesting to see which goalkeepers do well, because again, you know, you know we're not all that up on Belgium. However, I probably would select a lot of Belgian players in my fantasy team, at least certainly at the very start of the tournament. So, you know, maybe you tipped Courtois to be your goalkeeper of the tournament, I think, Rick, as well. And I think he might be a the great shout to, to play in goal because I think that while we all sort of expect Neuer to maybe be the standout goalkeeper of the whole tournament, given the group they've got, you could easily see Germany versus France being a one all or a 2-1 either way. So I think that you're looking at those that not necessarily be the best for fantasy points accumulation. It's also interesting to try and pick up players who are playing on different days for the same reason I mentioned earlier. So I've got like a spread of players. I've made sure I've got someone from Turkey, Italy in. Yaziki, who did well for Lille this season. And then a bunch of other players across the days, just so you can always have options to swap them in later on. I've got Burak Yilmaz up top. I think that if he gets on a roll, Turkey, who could well make it to sort of the quarterfinals if you're looking at the, the group, you know, the form that they're in. Yilmaz's form especially. 
if he gets on a bit of a roll, I think that he could be a bit of a steal, to be honest for you. And then, you know, someone like Mario Fernandez of Russia, they're right, the Brazilian born, you know, not the most Russian of names. You know, again, to bring it back to, to stats and analytics, I know this is not an analytics podcast, however, Russia's game plan is essentially whip it into Zuba, the big man. And he's the guy who scores all their goals. You know, we talked about they didn't have a lot of goals in the squad outside of Zuba and Cheryshev. So I think that Zuba is certainly going to be a busy guy. And I think that maybe Mario Fernandez might be a decent shout in your back line. And I also think that Cheryshev as well from Russia, because he's one of, it's him and Zuba. And I think that Cheryshev will be on a lot of set piece duty. He'll be on Tibby taking corners and free kicks. So I'd maybe suggest... Uh, as a, a budget alternative, if like Dave, you've splurged all your cash on the front line, you could maybe pop Dennis Cheryshev in midfield as a, a budget option. All right. That is that. Enjoy the opening game tonight. We'll be back soon, maybe on Saturday morning, to round up what happened in Italy against Turkey.